0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Let's Be Social. I have a former colleague of mine and also an author. Her name is Maria Moore, and um, she's going to come on and talk about she just recently published a book. I'm not going to do any spoilers. She can talk about that. I just wanted to welcome you to my show, Maria, and um, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much excited to be here yeah um and it's always lovely to reconnect with uh old colleagues and kind of see where everybody's going I mean we've kept in touch on messenger and stuff like that and it's it's really nice to see where everybody's where everyone's going and I'm very excited to talk about your new book so let's talk about that okay sure so
1: my book is uh it's a true story and it's based on um Uh, My life as a Mexican Mennonite, which is something that a lot of people didn't know about me. Um, I grew up in Southern Ontario and I was adopted at the age of nine. So, this is kind of my life before that, which seems like it should be a fairly small story to write, but it was a complicated life which led me to my adoption. So, the book focuses on um, uh, the death of my father. My father died as a young man in Ontario. And he was murdered. And I was actually present at the time of the murder. And so through my life, I would have um, sort of flashbacks to that day. And then I was adopted, and it was encouraged that we not really talk about that, that that was in the past. And as I got older and was able to do more research, I went in those days, I had to go to St. Thomas in London to the um, newspaper archives, and I was trying to find articles from his trial. So I found some through that and I would just slowly pick away at it and uh, life was busy. I had a a new set of parents, new expectations. So this was something I tried to fit in between. And as I was reading the articles, I realized that the, the way the murder scene was described in the newspaper wasn't what I saw. And then that perplexed me. So then I I would self-reflect and think, you know, did I add something to this over the years as a child? You know, did I embellish it? Did I change things? And so this persisted for several years of research. And then uh, um, I'm a nurse by trade. So then when I was getting close to retirement, I decided that would be my project. As soon as I retired, I'm going to, you know, jump into this and find out what I need to do. And so I went and tried to get the court transcripts. And because it had been 50 years, they were not available. They had been shredded over the length of time, and they only keep them so long after the judge dies. So that sort of fell through, and I was disappointed by that. And because I was raised separate from my Mennonite relatives, I didn't have any close relationships there, so I decided that would be my next focus, is to dig up some cousins. So Mennonites traditionally have big families, 13 kids is not an unusual thing. So I found a few cousins here and there, and they all gave me a different story of how they figured my life went. And some of them thought that I was adopted and lived in the States. Some people didn't even know that my father was murdered because they weren't in Mexico yet. They were still in Mexico, I mean, and they had never come to Ontario. So they didn't really know what had gone on. They just knew he had died and they didn't know where the kids ended up. So through talking with relatives and mostly women, they were just as curious to find out about my life and what had come of me, that they were openly sharing stories. And some of these stories were were horrific of things that had happened with my parents in their life in Mexico, in this Mennonite colony. My parents went down, um, they were both born there. And so my grandparents immigrated there in 1920 from Manitoba. There was a big exodus of Mennonites from Manitoba down to Mexico. Then Um, I think they said it was the the largest immigration of of people from Ontario or from Canada to the south and about 6,000 Mennonites went. The reason they went was because they believed that they needed to have a more conservative lifestyle than they were. The other part of the colony was living in Manitoba. So they're ultra conservative, they're old colony, Mennonites. And Basically, if a leader is identified themselves as an elder and a minister, um, groups will follow them. And that's what's happened to Mennonites traditionally over hundreds of years. So down they went to Mexico and they had a heck of a time getting things set up down there. Uh, The crops they grew in Manitoba, they could no longer grow down there. So there was a large amount of poverty and starvation. And because they wanted to keep to themselves, they don't believe in, you know, marrying a Mexican or or associated with mexicans because it could lead to being excommunicated uh from the colony they they kept to themselves and they were struggling so that's the reason that my parents came to ontario is they came as migrant workers so they would come up and they'd work in the fields and us as children would work alongside them And, and until the 70s I think probably 1970, Ontario government didn't have any legislation on the age of the children that worked in the fields. So we all worked, no matter the age, and I would have been five and six years old, and we'd be working in the fields trying to earn as much money as we could. So what ultimately happened is that they got away from the colony, they faced some personal struggles, they didn't have support, they'd never lived outside the colony, they'd never lived in Canada. And And they also discovered that maybe the Ontario lifestyle wasn't as bad as where they had come from in Mexico. So my father integrated well and easily. He learned English because we did not speak English. But my mother, being a Mennonite woman, was always supposed to be kept quiet and sort of in the background. And so she didn't make as many friends and her life of isolation led to a life of alcoholism. And that was something that she had started also in Mexico. And it's not uncommon um, for the men and women in Mexico in the colonies during the hard times to make their own booze, which was mostly rubbing alcohol with a bit of sugar. And then that's what they got from the pharmacy. And so they would say it would be for the cattle or doing something. and Instead, they would drink it. So that was my mother's drink of choice. So in Canada, she continued that, except she found there was a liquor store (laughs) and that was something she wasn't quite accustomed to. So um, her addiction continued. She also suffered from a lot of mental health problems. And so my father really struggled to find the resources they needed and to figure out how to start a new life in a new country and not have the support of a church. And um, it led to some poor decision making on their part and years of sort of I guess, childhood neglect where they they left us alone and Children's Aid Society had to step in multiple times to make sure that we were fed and clothed. And the night of the murder was a snowy winter's night. And I won't give away too much, but um, it was the night that my father had decided that he'd had enough resources that he could come and take us from my mother and start a fresh life for us. And it didn't end that way and so the book goes into that it talks a lot about my parents lives before coming to Ontario so that you get a background understanding of their struggles and the generational trauma that they both went through and then it it sort of goes into the trial and where I was able to interpret sort of the newspaper and relate it to articles and family stories and realize that there was quite a miscarriage of justice that the the man who, who shot and killed my father never spent any time in jail he was set free and so that ate away at me for many years and I kind of wanted to be my father's voice because he didn't have one at the trial and then I go into a little bit about what happened to all of my family and my siblings after this trial because all of us were split up and we were put out to various foster homes and care so for me it's you know, I've had some feedback from some Mexican Mennonite women who have read this, which I wasn't sure how it would be perceived. And they I totally could relate to it. They had their own stories and they said it's it, it. the book helped them realize that there's some forgiveness and that maybe they need more counseling than they got because they were led to believe as as women and as that God would take care of them, that you never speak of the things that happen and if if you're a good Christian, you forgive anyone who has done any of these things to you. As a male, if you were the one that was, you know, doing the assaults, um, you were forgiven as long as you told the elders. So your cycle of abuse could be continued through your lifespan, and nothing really was questioned. And so the book for me, you know, I spent many years as a mental health nurse too, as a way of just. Making sure women in these situations remove the shame that's associated with this because the shame they themselves have for for falling victim to this, but also they had a lifetime of shame in the colony because if it was ever made public that you were abused or sexually assaulted, you were excommunicated and you no longer belong to the colony because you are no longer worthy of being anyone's wife. So those were big things for women to cope with, especially when you didn't know any other life. So I'd like them to sort of remove that blame and shift the blame to the people that need to have the blame on their shoulders. And those ones that sort of got that, you know, quick, you pass and you're going to be okay from the church. um, Those are the ones to blame. And those are the ones where the focus needs to go that, that perpetuated, you know, several generations of abusers, including physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. So, so it's a heavy book. I will say that, but Other sort of feedback is that it promotes forgiveness. And I I tried to put my nurse hat on to describe every character in it, including my parents, to make sure that I didn't take an angle that I tried to base it on facts. And I did a lot of research through the University of Winnipeg. They have a big Mennonite studies program there. I ordered many textbooks to make sure that when I recounted history from family that I could relate it back to some fact so that it wasn't just stories. So it was a good journey for me and um, it's, it's a, it's a difficult book for some to read. So I do have a warning in the front that people need to take care of themselves when they read it, like seek out counseling or support because it can trigger a lot of feelings. Yeah. But I'm hoping most people can get through it and see the meaning in it and also then understand the complexities of the lives of Mennonites. My, um my family were old colony, but there's Mennonites in every community and every you know, quilt show, etc. is full of Mennonites. And we all come from the same place. Mm-hmm. All of us come from Menno Simmons from Europe and we track through. So it's just depends on where your family went and which direction they they took the fork in the road and which leader they followed um, into which colony and what level of conservatism that they uh, lived in. Mm-hmm. And my family chose the most conservative okay. um, route to maintain control. Uh, where my father and my mother came to Ontario, some people went further to Paraguay. And if you have heard of the, the movie Women Talking, or Miriam Tay's book called Mer- Women Talking, it refers to the Manitoba colony in Paraguay. And those would be my relatives oh, that, that went down, that 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 down that there and suffered enormous amounts of abuse. And the women ended up um, charging the men in the colony for assaults. But that's just how far the colony will go for seclusion and then avoidance of any repercussions for their actions. Um, <laughs> kind um, of. Great. <laughs> um, but uh, it's their, their stories was telling, and and I think what it is good is when I hear my cousins who I didn't don't remember growing up with, but some who remember me say, "You know, this is my story,
0: too." Yeah, I'm not alone in my story. That's right. And it also raises awareness of, I mean, not just in the Mennonite community, as you said, but also just raising awareness that, you know, it's not okay for abuse to happen and maybe opening a forum for that where people can start talking about it. Did you find that through doing your research and reconnecting with your family and writing the book did you find did you find it um therapeutic at all did did you find that it helped you by telling your father's story and your family's It story? did.
1: Yeah, at, at first when I started it would I would hear stories and it would like hurt me emotionally because I would think oh my god that's a dreadful story <laughs> you know like it's horrible that people had to go through these sort of things. Yeah. But over time, I don't know, I wasn't desensitized to it. It became such a normal that everyone had a horrific story to share mm-hmm. and that I had to do the research. And in my, you know, nurse brain, the research validated the story. So therefore it had to be true. So then I could step out of it a little bit and be able to write it with, with more of a um, a, a different lens than just from my heart. But yeah. it, it definitely helped. It it helped me understand Um, imperfect parents and their history that led them to that because none of us are perfect and they they failed miserably in some of those areas but at the same time they had insurmountable struggles and such a history they brought with them that it seemed unlikely they would ever make it Mm -hmm. and I think that's not uncommon for other immigrant families too especially um, where there's some religious exclusion that sort of prevents you from integrating fully due to shame so therefore these secrets can be tucked away for a long time and that's not unlike you know any other catholic or any other religion you know where secrets are hidden away and they finally come out somewhere
0: yeah yeah i think it's good also that you're raising awareness about that because i mean i i wouldn't have known anything about that and and working with you, I, I mean, we never talked about those things, right? Like we never, I'm learning no. a lot about you. I mean, I had no idea that you had such a traumatic beginning, you know? No, and and even my children didn't. <laughs> and my,
1: my husband knew my story because I've known my husband since grade three. So uh, he public school with me and then we have had a long relationship but when my children have read the book they're like god why would you never have told us all this and i never really i wanted to be part of of who i am but i didn't want it to be my present yeah you know when you have children you try and protect them from all these things and and probably when i look back i was probably like the worst helicopter parent ever <laughs> because your your only goal is to not be that same parent right so you know if the kids are walking down the street you're watching them to make sure everything's okay so that's my my generational trauma is probably my children were overprotected. But they they grew up healthy and yes, they, they didn't know. So it, it was a shock for them to, at first to read it all mm-hmm. and absorb this. And the beauty of doing some of these sort of family visits is that occasionally in the back of some drawer was a picture because I didn't have any pictures. Mennonites don't take a lot of pictures unless they're like an immigration photo to get across the border. So I found some photos so that I can actually put a face to some of my relatives and, and, you know, since um, meeting them, they, they generally reach out and tell me, Oh, you know, your aunt, you know, Justina, our aunt, Anna has died. And I I didn't even know I had an aunt. Um, I hadn't made any connections with that branch of family. Yeah. And I've gone to some of their funerals, which has been both educational and, you know, enlightening for me to see how that culture um, celebrates death because I did a death dual course too. So death and uh, dying are an interest of mine. So I found that to be fascinating. So I was able to kind of turn any any turmoil or um, resentment um, into more of a curiosity for me. And that's how I, I could step back and appreciate what was in front of me. Yeah. And as I was curious of them, they were equally curious of me.
0: Yeah. Um, were you able to reconnect with siblings and that kind of thing as well or through through this book
1: yeah um many years ago i met i got together with siblings mm-hmm. i was probably 19 when i found um an older brother because there was uh five of us uh, my older sister she ended up in an institution for about 10 years after we came out of our our life um in those days it was fundamentally retarded. So she was institutionalized for many years and she got out and it was funny, she only lived maybe half an hour from me. Wow. And through children's aid connections, they found me and we connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my siblings have intellectual disabilities and if they don't, then they have PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so they struggle at different levels. In my book, I alluded to that because all of us went to different foster homes and we all came back with different experiences. And mine, I can't, you know, is is only mine, because I know that everyone had a a terrible time. Um, My older siblings all aged out of foster care. They were never adopted. And then my younger two were adopted with myself, and my parents adopted three of us. Oh, that's good. And I had a relationship with my mother. I did find her many years later. Um, She was living on the streets in uh, Windsor so I did connect with her as much as I could and she didn't know me for several years and so eventually she got to have twigs of memories when we would get together and I was actually with her when she died and all of her children came and we were all there when she died that's nice
0: that's nice Mm -hmm. um so I understand you have a book launch coming up don't you yes yes I do. And it's funny, when I was
1: talking to the marketing at the publisher, I was stressed over book launches. They're just like, why are you stressed? You can have a dozen. No one cares. Like have as many as you want. So then that took the tension off that it had to be a really big deal every time. Um, So I had one in New Brunswick when I went out there to visit friends and that was good fun. And so I have one in Zurich um, next Friday in a coffee shop run by uh, a, a girl that you know, has become an entrepreneur and she started this lovely little spot and I asked her if she would be willing to host and she said, yes. So I'm I'm excited to be there. Uh, I have sort of made a deal with a few friends that if it's just me and them there, that we're going to eat all the brownies uh, <laughs> on our own and we'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how many come. And it's it's always surprising at my New Brunswick book launch, the, the amount and no one there had read my book. Mm-hmm. and the amount of excellent questions people have even about Mennonite culture yeah. and I'm no Mennonite expert by any means but um, it it, uh, it helps open the eyes to to the the mystery people or the plain people as they're referred to uh, throughout the United States that just the plain people whether you're how to write um, Mennonite, Amish and the lives they choose and sort of what rules they work under.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, so what is the title of your book and how can people get it? Um, my book is called Not My Kind of Mennonite.
1: And I got my title because I was um speaking with a woman and I didn't know much about her, and she shared that she was a Mennonite, and she told me about her life and the things that she did. And I said, Guess what? I'm also a Mennonite. And so I told her about my family, and she kind of looked at me and she says, Hmm. You're not my kind of Mennonite, oh. and I know. So I thought, okay, so that seems just a bit off-putting, <laughs> and I had to go home and think about that. And I thought, well, that's absolutely a perfect title for my book because uh, of the the lies my my parents led and the, the decisions they made. How easily people sort of left them behind. Yeah. And so my book is it's you can find it on Friesen Press. Amazon doesn't seem to be able to keep the orders in very much. So it's hard to get there, but, um, on my website, if you go there, you can buy direct from me as well. And I'll sign a copy and mail it to you. And, um, my website is www.notmykindofmennonite.com. And there's a form there that you can fill out and ask me any questions I'm very interested in joining any book groups. If people decide they want to read my book, I will gladly come in in person or via Zoom because the topic is heavy. It's maybe good to talk talk to me and do a little debrief after. And I think that would be interesting to see where people are reading it. So far, I've been mailing out about six or seven a week, which is kind of fun. And so the farthest is to Inuvik and the Native community up there and their interest in generational trauma. So they would like to read that in context to their own history and stories. Not that they can be compared, but, you know, oh, as another point of interest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it is your your family's story, but, I mean, there are aspects of it that are relatable to to everyone. So, you know.
1: Yeah, I had
0: a friend who read it and who's non-Mennonite,
1: and she said when she was done, she had carried a lot of res- Resentment for her mother who's deceased, and she said it's it's time for me to just let some shit go, I think. <laughs> Sorry about the swear. Oh. Um <laughs> that you know, the book proved that you know you, you can't carry all that weight forever. It's not good for us soul. Yes. And that was her sort of moment where she
0: decided it's time to to be free of that and and find some joy. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for you know giving us a, a glimpse into your life and um talking a little bit about your book. Um, If anyone wants to reach out to you, I will put your information in the description, and um, they can reach out to you directly. And um, thank you so much for joining me. And it's been a pleasure reconnecting with you. And I wish you all the success in um, continuing selling and getting the word out. And also just raising awareness. I, I think it's I think it's important. I think people do carry things and I do believe that abuse happens behind closed doors and people aren't talking about it. So I th- maybe it's a, a good way to kind of shed some light and get people talking more about it and healing, self-healing. So Yeah,
1: thanks so much. Yeah, I hope that's the message most
0: people take from it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much and please uh, go and get your copy of Not My Kind of Mennonite. And uh, thank you again, Maria. Thank you.